Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Sammy Cat was recorded on November 24th, 2022. Um, my name is Sammy. I'm a very grateful ACA today. Um, thank you so much, Renee, for inviting me. Um, so how did I get to ACA? Um, what was it like growing up in, in, in addiction and dysfunction? Um, it was violent for me. It was very violent. Um, I've always been a like I was a very gender nonconforming kid. I didn't live up to live up to expectations in that sense. Um, and I grew up in rural Southeast Louisiana, and it was the eighties. You do the math. Um, my parents are also addicts and alcoholics and rageaholics and control, and they they too are ACAs. You know, honestly, they too are ACAs. They definitely grew up in a lot of in a lot of dysfunction themselves. Um, but they chose not to, not to ever like seek any healing modalities. They chose not to ever, um, they chose just to, just to continue to like reenact this nonsense on, on my sisters and myself. Um, so yeah, I grew up, you know, my first memory is actually being, uh, being physically abused by my dad. Um, which is a really hard thing to, 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 to kind of get out of my mouth sometimes. And, you know, I, I have very specific like sense memories that come up with certain swear words because they were being said to me while, while, I, was, while I was being hit or harmed or choked or whatever, or whatever violent thing was happening to me that I'm not gonna dwell on today. Um, And then, and then when I was out and when I wasn't at home, you know, being at school was maybe not worse, but but kind of because at least then I knew kind of where where the I didn't I didn't necessarily know where the where the where it's coming from, but I knew who to expect it from. At school, I didn't ever know who to expect it from because people, you know, because I mean, kids are very weird. Kids are very fickle. Like one day, one day you're, I would I was their best friend, and the next day I was just some other F slur. Who was getting who was getting miss you know getting treated poorly um i remember the first time i heard the epsilon uh was actually from one of my peers in elementary school he walked up to me he walked up behind me and like slapped me right in the back of my neck and when i started crying and i'm like seven like he called me the epsilon i was like oh my gosh and i just i felt like i never heard the internet word i felt like i never heard the end of that word um I got a bit older. I had a really hard time making friends. I had a really hard time trusting people. I also couldn't trust my parents to be consistently the same person on a, on a regular basis. So there was never a question of like having friends over or any of that. Like that just, it just, it just was not like a possibility. Um, so I was very socially isolated throughout high school. Um, I would, I, would have, I would do this thing that I, that I later found out is kind of a kind of codependent, like ACA kind of a thing where I have like one friend. Um, 
and I, and I would kind of hyperfix it on, on that relationship. And, uh, you know, I started, I started drinking kind of alcoholically around that time. And I started like, uh, and it was so, and it was such a relief for me to use substances. Um, it, it took me out of like all this, like anxiety and depression and feelings that I had that I wasn't ever allowed to talk about. Like, however I felt was never okay. Um, so when I found booze, I was like, bitch, this stuff is the answer. Um, when I got to be a little bit older, like I started, uh, my parents were not supportive of me financially when I was a little bit older, when I was like 18, you know, 17, 18, 19. Um, and I was working, you know, some pissy, you know, um, what am I trying to say? Um, like just really low end jobs, just really low end minimum, like, you know, minimum wage jobs. That's what, I, that's the phrase I was looking for. And you know, in order to, to supplement that, in order to live, I had, you know, I, I felt like it was necessary for me to sell drugs. And that became a big part of my identity for, for the longest time. And then I stopped doing that after about 10 years. I went back to school I, I, and I got addicted to success. Like, like success, success in school became became the drug. The, the, the 4.0 became the drug. At some point I had gone to rehab, but I mean, I moved back in with my parents after that. So you can imagine how that went. <laughs> Spoiler alert, poorly. But yeah, so I, I stopped selling drugs and I went and I went to university and I and I got really and I was really good at being a college student. Um I was so good at being a college student that I ended up with like three college degrees. Like the, the university paid me to get a master's degree there and, and teach there. And once I got out of the university and I started looking for work as a teacher which was not really where I was trying to go. I was trying to be an interpreter, but I mean, I was like, okay, well, you got to do something in the, in the interim while you're building up a, um, a portfolio of, of work. And the, the, you know, coming from constantly, constantly, constantly being successful and then going to a place of, I'm literally sending out 25 resumes a day plus cover letters and nothing, and nothing. That was really hard for me to, to um, to, to, to deal with. Um, so guess what I started doing that I was doing when I was younger, AKA selling drugs. And I retreated into, into that identity as, as a drug dealer. Um, and I started, and I, you know, I was back to like um, acting up sexually. I was, obviously I was using drugs the whole time. Um, and when things got really, really bad for me, when, when, I, when I hit my, my substance rock bottom, it was December the 18th of 2018, and I had been thrown out of where I was staying because I had formed these, you know, I, I had lose, I had lost three apartments in, in, in that year, plus I lost, plus my grandmother passed away, and it was seven days before Christmas, and I really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how, I, would, I didn't know, I, I couldn't see it. I didn't even want to live through Christmas. And I was going to take my own life. I was actually standing at a bus stop in New Orleans. It was one of those shelter kind of bus stops. And there was a red light kind of right there. And I was like trying to time it. I was hiding behind the shelter of the bus stop. And I was trying to time it between the red light and the oncoming traffic to figure out how I could throw myself under the bus and in my life. And that way I wouldn't have to go through all this. 
because um, at that point I didn't have no place to live. I didn't have like all the clothes that I had, all the objects that I had had acquired over the last, you know, 44 years of my life, however old I was then, was all gone. And somebody that I used to use with called me on the called me on the phone and was like, girl, you're on my mind. Are you okay? No, I'm not okay. I'm not okay at all. Um, and I told him when I was up to him, he's like, look, just just sit down at the bus stop. I'll be there, I'll be there in a few minutes. And he was there in a few minutes. And I went to a mental hospital and I spent Christmas up in the crazy house, and that was wild. That was wild. But I have to tell you, it was literally the best Christmas that I had up to that point because I was safe. Even though I was with a bunch of strange, bunch of like technical strangers. I was safe. I didn't have to worry about. I didn't have to worry about anything. I didn't have to worry about some my about my, either one of my parents having some violence with me. I didn't have to worry about them not being there. I didn't have to worry about any of those things. I, like I knew what my day was going to be like, and it was it was great. Um, I went from there to a rehab center, and from that point, I haven't used drugs or alcohol in almost four years. I could say that, like, oh, you know, I, I found this 12-step recovery and everything's fabulous, and it's not. Y'all, it's really not. Um, like, not every day is fabulous. Um, not using drugs and not using alcohol was, for me, was just was just step one of, of a larger journey of recovery. Because at a given point, probably around 18 months or so, like, using those kind of chemical coping mechanisms just stopped being on the table. Um, and in August of 2020, um, my sister, um, my, my first sister, I, I had two younger sisters and she was, she was two years younger than I am. And um, she, like, like all three of us, uh, suffered mental illness, suffered with, with addiction, and she walked away from the drugs and the alcohol, but she didn't have a program, and so she transferred her addiction into food, and um, and she was a binge eater, and she lost her job, and she didn't have insurance to pay for her diabetes medicine or her mental health medicine, and um, and she had a, an attack of acute pancreatitis um, that was driven by her super high lipids and her super high sugar like um and her pancreas basically disintegrated and she died um and my baby sister who's also in recovery and she she just made 10 years recently she and i were there in the hospital with sarah as she as she passed away and you know it's not what you think it's going to be it's not what you see on tv um, like when you see something like this going on on TV and the person is very quiet and you just hear these little machines in the background and maybe there's some music. There was no music. Um, it was very ugly. Um, Sarah had basically been in a medically induced coma for about two weeks at this point and had, and had been on a breathing machine for about that long. And what they don't tell you is that like, it's how spastic and how ugly it is when the machine breathes for the person because it's like it's it's this noise too. It's like, <gasps> like 
in fact, it's a lot uglier than that. And her whole body would kind of move and it would drop and it would move and it would drop. And her eyes were open. She wasn't there. Um, and my parents said they were coming and they didn't come. The day before I left to go to Austin to go be with Sarah um, in the hospital, I talked to my mother and she said to me, I'm getting in the I'm I'm getting in my truck and I'm coming. And she didn't come. The night before we lost Sarah, I was I was in a in a La Quinta Inn in Austin, Texas, equidistant, perfectly in between the airport and the hospital. And I was calling her to see, did she need me to get her a room? Because they live in, in Colorado now. I live in New Orleans. My other sister lives up here in Frederick, Maryland. And we both like dropped our jobs. We came up out of pocket. We did what we had to do to get to Austin. We got this fucking hotel room. I'm calling my mother to see, do I need to get her a room at this hotel? Because, because the rooms are starting to fill up. It was actually, I think there was about to be another hurricane. Maybe Hurricane Delta was coming through. Something like this was going on. Like a bunch of folks were like evacuating Southeast, South Louisiana and kind of coming through there. Um, I called her and I said, and I was like, and I didn't actually get to the point of asking her, do you need me to get you a room? I guess we're kind of talking on the phone. She's telling me she's praying Sarah's gonna, gonna make it through this and Sarah's gonna blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I was like, mama, she's not having any like reflexes. Like, like, I don't think, I don't think so. And like, as we're talking, she starts talking, talking to me about the sky and the clouds and how she's seeing these dead relatives of her faces up in the clouds. And that's when I clue in that she's not coming. That's also when I clue in that she's high because the whole reason they moved to, that, that they moved to Colorado was so they could like smoke weed and eat gummies and do all those things 24 seven. And that's exactly what they do. That is exactly what they do. I don't mind. Are you still in Colorado? And she's like, well, yeah, you know, I spent the day painting rocks that we got out of the creek. This is a creek behind their house, right? Um, I spent the day painting these rocks. Sarah's favorite color, which is purple. And I'm like, bitch, that's not even her favorite color. That was Diana's favorite color. You know, I just had to get off the phone. I was like, yeah, well, we're not doing this, girl. We're not doing this. Um, And so the next day, Diana and I are in the hospital and like, we brushed Sarah's hair, we sang songs to her. Um, and my brother-in-law who had had this mental health crisis, he couldn't be there either, but we got him on the, we got him um, on an iPad to be able to FaceTime in the room at the end when we withdrew care. And that was really hard to be for him to kind of be there with us, like virtually kind of through this iPad, because he's going through this whole set of emotions that me and Diana had been have been going through for the last umpteen hours. And he's had this whole set of emotions like right there, like in the moment. He's like, oh, it doesn't look like that. Blah, 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 blah. Like having all, all this freak out. And like, I'm really trying not to be like, shut the fuck up and stop being such a baby. Because you're not here, and I was very resentful with him that he wasn't there. I was resentful, resentful towards him because he, like my parents, in my mind, had abandoned Sarah. So parental abandonment is a, is a big theme 
for my family. Um, and I mean, my parents not showing up to Sarah's bedside at the end of her life is literally just one more abandonment after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. And when she passed, um, again, it's not what you see on TV. Um, when they took the tubes out of her mouth, she kept breathing in that really fucked up, like spastic, like kind of a way for several minutes. Um, and Diana and I were, were each holding one of her hands. Um, feeling her body kind of shake, listen to her make these sounds. And so she stopped making those sounds. And then she was just quiet. She was just home. And we had a group text going on with everybody and Diana after, like when we left the hotel, um, the hotel, the hospital. Um, when we left the hospital, Diana put in the group text, you know, Sarah passed at 420, which Sarah would have loved that. Sarah would have loved that she passed at 420. Like, she would have found that hilarious. To say she hadn't smoked weed in like 25 years. She would have thought that was awesome. Um, so Diana set up this group text and then and then my parents ring our phones. And then my mom calls and then it's then it's the alligator tears and then it's the oh well y'all just really must hate me because you know I wasn't I just couldn't do it. I, I saw this picture of Sarah that 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 your brother-in-law had sent yesterday and I just I couldn't look at her like that. I just couldn't look at her like that. And you know, Diana is so much nicer than I am. Um, Diana was like, you know, mom, it's not that we hate you, we just fucking wanted you to be here. I think I ever hated anybody as much as I hated my parents in that moment. I didn't stop hating them for a very, very long time. I mean, I had a lot of like anger towards them before. Um, and when I when I started on this 12-step journey, I really did my best to like to kind of draw a line in the past and be like, okay, girl, like I did my nice step, I you know, I, I made amends to them, I I try to have compassion, be like that with them. Um but yeah, after that, it was like just straight, direct fucking hatred. Like, I'm like, yeah. And I mean, I started doing rituals for them to die. I lit candles. I did all these things. And then my dad's birthday came, which is November the 13th. And I was like, well, this isn't fucking working. I guess I have to heal from this. So that's when I went to my first ACA meeting. <laughs> so there we go. So I'll never forget my, my ACA birthday. And you know, every time that I come to an ACA meeting, like no matter what the meeting is, and I hear and I hear our, and I hear the and I hear the traits and I hear the, you know, the problem and the solution, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so good. Because I never knew that this stuff was I never knew this and this stuff was the problem. I just thought that it was just I thought it was just me. I thought I was built wrong. I thought that I was I thought that I did I thought I deserved all the things that, that my parents did to us. I thought that I thought that I was just 
trash. I thought that I thought that I just deserved every bad thing that ever happened to me, and I couldn't conceptualize the amount of self-compassion that ACA gives us. Um, coming from AA like, and like other like, and, and substance abuse twelve steps, let's let's say that coming coming from that side of twelve steps. It's very much about kind of abandoning yourself. Like, oh, you feel bad about something? Okay, so go work with some newcomer. You, you a lot. Like to me, the, the, a lot of times the application of, of twelve steps when it's around around um, substance abuse is, is all about kind of like getting out of yourself, and it's not necessarily about having compassion for yourself. It's not necessarily about about taking about 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 self care. Sometimes, to me. Uh, that's that's been that's been my experience with a lot of sponsors and, and how a lot of how I've seen like that kind of um, that kind of program kind of manifest uh, for other people. So when, so when I came into ACA and I started going going into these meetings, I was like, oh my gosh, girl, this is it, and it's still it. <laughs> um, I still go to twelve steps. I still go to AMEs. I still go to other like um, substance abuse like centered um 12 step meetings and they're great I, I definitely i definitely get something out of them i still sponsor people in those programs but for me the truth and the action and the work is, is here it's in aca it's in sharing it's in holding space <laughs> it's in doing service amongst amongst ourselves and it's it's being able to find being able to find compassion for ourselves and being able to forgive ourselves for what we were told was always unforgivable and let, you know what, let me, let me use the right pronoun there for what I was told was always unforgettable. Because just being who I was was unforgivable. Me walking around in this captain with this boa, with my nails done, unforgivable. Unforgivable. But I don't have to believe that anymore. And I don't have to like, I don't have to onboard that anymore. I can see today that that's totally not even anything to do with me. That's to do with my parents being damaged, fucked up individuals. And you know, I don't, that my sister Diana and I were talking about this the other day. It really bugs the shit out of me when, when I hear AA people say things like, and, it, and I don't hear this from ACAs. I don't hear this from ACAs so much, or, or maybe I haven't been listening, where like I'll hear this a lot, a lot of this in, in and not just, again, just let's just read 12 step substance programs when I say AA, right? Um, I hear people say this, well, you know, you know, my parents did the best they could, or your parents did the best they could, or, or you know, they're still your parents. Fuck that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I have, yeah, yeah, no, they didn't, they literally did not do the best they could. They did what they wanted to do. They did what they were comfortable with doing. You know, I remember seeing these PSAs on TV where it was like, I remember the, the tagline for this PSA. It was like this, it was like, I don't know, you have to kind of be of a certain age to remember this PSA. Uh, but it was like this kid on the stairs being yelled at by his dad and he's crying. And the tagline of the PSA is, words can hurt worse than a fist. And I remember my dad literally laughing about this to me and saying to me, yes, they do, don't they, son? Don't they, you little f -slut. So yeah, I'm not giving you that they did their fucking best, you know. You wasn't there, you don't know. If that was their best, then what the fuck? <laughs> that was clearly not their best. Um, 
And I don't have to, I don't have to be like that with them. I don't have to pretend anything with them anymore today. And I'm so grateful to ACA for that. Um, I don't do ACA perfectly, certainly not like things, but I will tell you my, the quality of my recovery has changed so much because like I said, I was on this, I was really, really on this dry high after, after we lost my sister. I was really, really in this terrible place to where it was like, okay, using and drinking and, and I don't know, going to all kind of mad sex and overeating and blah, 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 whatever all the other behaviors are, that was no longer on the table. Like that was not even, that wasn't, that wasn't the number one response to stress or that wasn't even the number 10 response. Like it was not anywhere on the list of to do things around, around this kind of pain. Um, but ACA gives me a, gives me, gives me a place. It gives me something that I, I almost can't put into words, but I certainly do my best because I'm writing in my fucking journal every day. <laughs> I got a whole ACA journal. Um, Renee and I, not to, not to spill your tea, Renee, but Renee and I know each other from, from the daily affirmations meeting that meets at like, um, that meets at 10 a.m. Um, every morning. And we read from, from Strengthening My Recovery. And my method around that is that I, um, I, I, I take the tagline. I, I don't know if you guys have seen this book, but like every single day there's, there's like a, med, a little reading and everyone ends with this little blurb. It'll be like, on this day, and it'll say whatever. So I so that's what I write out in my journal, and then I journal around that. Usually, sometimes I'm like, yeah, well, I think this is I think this reading is stupid. So here's what's, here's what's going on with me right now. <laughs> and you know, right now in this moment, like in this exact moment, I am going through something that I have that when I faced it in the past, it it almost killed me. Um, I've been living, I was living in sober living from the time I got out of, um, for the time I got out of rehab in 2019 and maybe two weeks ago, 10 days ago. I don't know how long ago it was. Um, I think it was like two weeks. Um, I was asked to leave because of some fraudulent sexual harassment charges. Like I didn't do this thing this person is claiming. I never touched him inappropriately. I never said anything, you know, and you know, everybody, who's, not everybody, but a lot of people have tried to be like, well, girl, are you sure you just didn't say something he misinterpreted? No, no, I'm positive. I did not say something. I did not say anything inappropriate. Like, like we, I thought until two weeks ago that we was friends. So, if, so yeah, girl, no, I'm not buying that. Um, and at a given time, in fact, when I, you know, my, um, my rock bottom was me getting thrown out of where I was staying because I ran out of drugs to sell to the person that I, that I was staying with. Um, so for me to be, uh, me, for me to be without a fixed address right now is something that if you would have told me when I, if you would have told me when I, when I, when I was early in my recovery that I was going to handle this and I was just going to roll with it and that I wasn't going to have some nervous breakdown about it and I wasn't going to go use about it, I would be like, girl, who? Because what? Because if I don't have a place to stay, because at, at, a, at a given point, not having a place to stay, not having accountability like that, that would be a great reason to go out and use. 
Well, I mean, also at a given time, you know, the sun came up and that was a good enough reason to use. The sun went down. That was a great reason to use. I think I could find a lot of reasons to use. But ACA puts me in a place to where I don't have to engage in any of that. I also don't have to engage in any of the emotional intoxication that would that would go along with the injustice of the situation. And I do think it's an unjust situation. I do think it's not fair. I do think that that the Oxford model was was manipulated and twisted for other people's means. Um, but do I feel like that I need to like have some revolution over it? No, girl. Like I literally don't have to do that. You know, I reached out to a friend that you know the day after this thing happened, and she was like, "Girl, you can absolutely come stay by me. However long you need to be here." Um, and that's why that's why I've been staying for the past couple weeks. And like. When I get back to New Orleans, I have another friend who basically has an entire like whole an entire house that nobody's been staying in for for some length of time. And she's like, "Girl, you could be here for I don't know four months or so. Just stay here, stack up your money so that's where that way when you, when you because everything is expensive right now, right? So that way you have plenty of time to make a decision about about what your next transformation is without having to be like under the gun about it. And I'm only in this in this emotional place because of ACA. I can tell you right now, with no doubts in my mind, if it weren't for having ACA and for having the program that I have and for having the support system that I have, I would not be here right now. I would be in some fucked up motel with some fucked up people doing some fucked up things. <laughs> um, and it would, it would just, it, you know, that would be in that real. They would, would, you know, I really think that, you know, or I would be spinning my wheels trying to like indict other people and take other people down and be all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And trying to do all that and being, like I said, emotionally intoxicated on that situation and emotionally intoxicated on, on what I can do, how I can get everybody to look at me and, 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 and see how wrong these awful straight people were. And I don't have to do none of that today. I literally, now, now I understand what, what cleaning up my side of the street means in a way that I never knew before. And that's because I have these rooms. That's because I have ACA. That's because I have you guys. So thank you again, Renee, for asking me to speak. And thank you, everybody, on the meeting tonight for my recovery. I love you all very much.